Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Not Gonna Lie podcast, presented by Student Union Sports. It was a wild week five this Sunday. A lot of things happened that I don't think hardly anybody could have expected. Uh, A lot of mess to wade through, but fortunately, we have on recurring guests, Jameis one of one, to help us break that all down. We talk about the Lakers championship, what that means for LeBron, the city of LA, uh, and then we get into some quarterback battles, some situations that have happened. You know, what what can we expect from the Cowboys now that Dak Prescott unfortunately suffered that injury, uh, and a ton of other topics. Very well versed uh, and very excited to share this interview. So I don't waste any more time. Here we go. Here is my interview with Jameis, one of one. We now welcome on a very special guest, recurring guest of the show. Uh, we had him on week five or week one, and we're happy to have him on again to recap week five. It's Jameis One of One. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, how you doing, brother? I'm feeling good. Good, good. Yeah. So I noticed from your your Twitter um, that you are a a huge LeBron James appreciator, admirer, um, and so I wanted to start the show talking about obviously the Lakers winning. Uh, the NBA Finals, it's big, big news for not only Lakers fans, but also for for fans of LeBron James and, and those who believe that he is um, the, the the greatest of all time. Talk to me a little bit about um, what you saw through this finals from LeBron James uh, and why he really is the GOAT for you, in your opinion. Yeah, well, uh, for me personally, I mean, my favorite player of all time is Kobe Bryant. Uh, he's my favorite athlete of all time, and, you know, I believe he always will be. I mean, who knows, maybe... Maybe in the future that'll change, but uh, Kobe's my guy forever. So, um, you know, I'm, uh, LeBron is my son's favorite player, I will say that. Um, but LeBron's not my favorite player, but I just, you know, I'm, I'm logical enough. I'm, you know, unbiased enough to just recognize he's the GOAT. And, um, you know, I had season tickets in Jordan's prime. I, I went to see Jordan play in person as much as I possibly could. I love Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was amazing. He's not LeBron James. He's just not. And when you compare their careers to each other, there's really no comparison. You know, I I tweeted something out after the game, and it said, uh, you know, despite biased, illogical, and ignorant media members using lazy and emotional arguments to justify pretending Michael Jordan is the NBA GOAT, it's not close. And I have some original infographics that I posted in there that, you know, you won't see anywhere else because they were immediately up to date with everything, career, playoffs, put together per, you know, VORP. When, uh, when shares everything. And LeBron just blows him away across the board. You know, so it's, it's come to the point where the media members that are Jordan guys, you know, some of them are, are so uh, transparent in their bias. For example, Stephen A. Smith. I mean, he's flat out said nothing LeBron can do will ever make him the go over Jordan. I mean, that, that, that's crazy. That reminds me of some of the insane stuff people have said about Jameis. <laughs> you know, where, mm. where, you know, it doesn't matter what he does, the Bucks should cut him. There was, I think Matt Miller said something like that in the past, the NFL scout. Um, when you say something like that, there's nothing LeBron will ever do where he could even, you know, come close to Jordan as the GOAT. You're just telling your entire audience, hey, I'm biased. And so why would anybody listen to your opinion? So with me, you know, I let the stats speak for themselves. I let the data speak for themselves. Yes, there's an eye test, but even the eye test, I mean, even the, the old heads will admit LeBron just, he does everything. You know, there, there, isn't, there isn't anything he doesn't do. And while Michael Jordan maybe could do a lot of the same things, he didn't have to. When you look at 
is uh, the championship runs. You know, he went on six championship runs. You look at the cumulative stats on those six championship runs. Scottie Pippen bested him in rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks. The only thing Jordan bested Pippen in in those six runs was points. And, of course, he shot almost ten times more a game. So, of course, he's going to best him in points. It's just they're not – I really don't even think it's a, it's, a, uh, it's a debate at all. I just don't. You know, I view Jordan as amazing, but I, I don't think that it's a, a legitimate debate. I think it's sort of like comparing, you know, Jerry Rice and Randy Moss. I mean, Randy Moss was amazing. He's not Jerry Rice. He didn't have that same career. And so when you just measure their entire careers, LeBron blows them away. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm with you 100%. I think one of the toughest things, you know, especially for, for people that are in um, my age range is that we never really got to see Jordan play on a day-to-day basis, you know, and really get that full experience. All we can do is look at, um, you know, just just whatever the arguments are, are that are brought up, whether it's, you know, the, the complete player, the, the championships, the MVPs, whatever the case may be. But uh, whatever, whoever you're a fan of um, in the NBA, you can't help but, but it'd be such a cool experience to watch the Lakers go out uh, and win the championship this year, uh, especially in in light of, of Kobe's passing. It was really uh, something cool, and I think something that definitely motivated them to get that to that next level. Uh, so so I'm I'm excited to see that sort of thing happen, uh, which is awesome. So transitioning here uh, to topics a little bit, talking about the NFL, uh, it was a it was a good week five. A lot of surprises, in my opinion. Maybe not, maybe not for you, but I want to start with the Thursday game, Bears and Bucks. Uh, the, the, there are two teams I think that that nobody still, even after this game, really knows how to feel about them. Obviously, the Bears have struggled in a lot of their games coming from behind uh, to win, but they're four and one. And the Bucks, who you know everybody loves, adding Tom Brady and all that sort of thing, are are three and two, and and are in need of some work. It looks like. Um, and and I know that you've you've talked about this a lot uh, in terms of the the Bucks moving on from Jameis and what the Buccaneers fans can realistically expect from Tom Brady. Um, and so far, I would say it's it's going to to your prediction what you said so far. Um, how do you think it's looked with the Bucks? Yeah, so far the the season's really played out basically exactly as as I thought it would and as I predicted it would. Um, you know, Brady's stats they're okay. He's just doing it in an entirely different way than Jameis. And so you'll see a lot of media in Tampa, you know, when Brady does unleash, you know, a big throw, they'll be like, oh, see, he's got the arm. He's got the arm. Okay, but when you look at the advanced metrics, he's still, it's not remotely close to what Jameis was doing. Jameis was second in the NFL, basically top two in all the distance categories. And I'm not talking about accounting style like yards. I'm talking about the advanced metrics like AYTS, air yards to the sticks, average CAY, CAY completed air yards, intended air yards. You know, Brady, I believe, at the moment is like 18th in area, 17th or 18th in area to the sixth, where Jameis was top two. So, yes, Brady has, you know, he's not Drew Brees. He doesn't have, you know, a, an arm that just is almost not functional anymore. He's, he can unleash cannons now and then, but it's not Jameis. It's not where he can just call him that constantly. And Arians isn't asking him to do that. So the season sort of played out the way that I thought it would. Um, as far as the Bucks go, you know, I predicted they'd win 9-11 to 11 games when I saw their schedule, whether they had Jameis or Brady. I just I figured they were like a 9-11 to 11 win team and they'd sneak in as a wild card. After seeing the first five games, I'd revise it down probably to 8-10 to 10 wins. You know, so I still think they have a, a decent shot at a wild card. I think the Vita Vea injury is extremely problematic. He is key to everything their defense does. Um, 
uh, I'm really interested to see, you know, how they look, especially against a team like the Packers and the Raiders that can really run the ball. Um, because without Vea, that, that changes their entire defensive game plan. He allowed the linebackers to, to blitz. I mean, he allowed the pass defense to be better than it has been. Um, he's huge. You know, he's a huge loss. And, of course, Godwin with the hamstring injury is another one. So, yeah, I look at them as like an 8-10 to 10 win team. Um, I still think they could sneak into the playoffs with a wild card. The, the, losing to the Bears is problematic because that's a team they'll probably be fighting for a wild card spot. And now they don't have the tiebreaker. If they both finish with the same wins, the Chicago's in and they're out. So uh, I do think it's a it's a big loss for the Bucks. Um, I think it's a game they should have won. The Bears are, you know, offensively challenged, and um, but the Bucks just they didn't they didn't have a good game. You know, their defense showed up. Uh, this is another thing that I tweeted. You know, people the week before Brady had a 17 point comeback, and everybody was sort of raving. And you know, I had some trolls tweeting at me and saying that's something Jameis never did. And that kind of cracked me up because any large comeback in a football game is absolutely just as much on the defense as it is on the quarterback or the offense. It, it doesn't matter if you're scoring a lot of points if the defense also isn't stopping the other team. So I remember, you know, a game against the Giants where Jameis put up 28 in the second half, but it wasn't a comeback because the defense couldn't stop the Giants and they kept scoring. There was another game uh, in Buffalo, and I think there's a couple other ones where, you know, he put up a ton of points, but it doesn't matter if the defense isn't stopping. So a quarterback can't come back on any team unless his defense is also getting the ball back for him without the other team scoring. But last week against the Bears, Tom Brady's defense, you know, the, the Bucks' defense, only gave up 20 points. And he got over 100 yards of run support. And he lost. That has never happened to Jameis in his entire career, college or the pros. Mm. He has never lost a game where his defense gave up 20 or less points and he got 100 yards of run support. Never. So, I mean, that is problematic because Bruce Arians has sort of been preaching to the Tampa fan base to the Tampa media, and to the players in the locker room that they're better this year because their quarterback's better. Well, it's not true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a that's a hard stat to, to come by. I can't think of how many quarterbacks are in that level of, of you know, at least or, or 20, yard, 20 points or less allowed and, and 100 yards of run support undefeated. Um, that's definitely definitely a telling stat for, for what Jameis was capable of. Um, and and the Tom Brady, like you said, there, there was a lot more that, that he still needs to prove to really be, um, to, to take his team to the next level. But let's talk about the Bears here for a second. Like you said, offensively challenged, I think that's a great way to put it. Um, we have not seen Nick Foles yet put together a, a full body of work. Um, obviously, he played well in relief of Mitch Trubisky in the second half of the Falcons game. He had a terrible game against the Colts, and uh, first half was poor. Second half, he started to turn on a little bit against the Bucks. Uh, but, but what what are we going to see? Like, what are we going to see from Nick Foles throughout the the rest of this season? Is it going to be just more of the same up and down play, or is he going to catch into a groove as he as he finds his form uh, in the offense? Yeah, I mean, it it probably sounds a little crazy to think that a team that starts four and one um, won't make the playoffs. But when I look at the Bears, I don't really see a legit contender. I mean, I guess you could say they're a fringe playoff contender. I definitely don't see them as a legit Super Bowl contender. Their, their schedule's been really easy so far, and they still haven't beat really anybody. I mean, they squeaked by the Falcons, who are absolute trash, just fired their GM and coach today. They won a game against the Lions that they should have lost. I mean, Matthew Stafford threw a perfect touchdown pass at the end of the game, and his running back dropped it wide open in the end zone. So those are two of their wins. 
Then uh, I believe their other win was against the Giants by like four points. I think they won 17 to 13, if I, if I recall correctly. And then they beat Tampa, and Tampa had a very bad game, you know, couldn't move the ball, wasn't scoring. So they haven't beat anybody yet. And if you look at, like, their next six games, their schedule gets incredibly difficult. You know, their, their next one isn't, isn't that bad with at Panthers, although the Panthers are playing better than I think pretty much anybody expected them to. Mm-hmm. But then they've got, you know, at Rams, home against Saints, at Titans, home against Vikings, at Packers. I think it's very possible they go one and five over their next, you know, six games, and they're sitting there with a with a losing record, eleven games into the season. So I, I know Chicago fans are excited, and you know they're happy about their defense, and they think Foles is the answer. Uh, I just don't see it. Yeah, it's it's something that I mean, you, you know, these next six games are going to be a kind of make or break. It's a it's a litmus litmus test for for what they are able to accomplish. Uh, but that's enough for the Thursday's games. There was a ton of things that happened on Sunday that I definitely want to get into. Uh, first things first. Uh, Bill O'Brien was fired by the Texans earlier last week, uh, and they got their first win of the season. So my main question to you is we saw a great game from Deshaun Watson. We saw David Johnson almost get to 100 yards. Uh, the they, It was a, a convincing win at, at every level, held the Jaguars to only 14 points. Uh, was this Bill O'Brien firing? Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, we, we assume it'll be good for the long run, but but did this happen too late? Um, I mean... <sighs> I think that Bill O'Brien was fired more so for his failings as a GM mm-hmm. than a coach. Um, I've never viewed Bill O'Brien as a bad coach, and I still don't. I know he's sort of like a, a whipping boy for the media, but I think the reason that is is because Deshaun Watson's uh, a media darling, and they sort of they have always ripped O'Brien to sort of prop Deshaun up. And Deshaun doesn't need propping up. He's a fantastic young quarterback, but I just have always – sort of viewed that's the way they treat O'Brien. Let's whip him to to make Deshaun look better. You know, Bill O'Brien in the three years before Deshaun Watson got there, he he coached the Texans to three different playoff games and a playoff victory. In the three years that Deshaun's been in the NFL, he's been to three playoff games with one victory. So Deshaun Watson did not increase, you know, he didn't take their team any farther at all than the garbage quarterbacks Bill O'Brien had before Deshaun got there, which are guys like Ryan Mallett, you know, Brandon Whedon, T.J. Yates. I mean, absolute trash quarterbacks. So Bill O'Brien has proven he can he can win both with a guy like Watson and with absolute garbage at the quarterback position. So I don't I don't view that. I, I don't think the Texans are any better for not having O'Brien as the coach. Although I think O'Brien as a general manager was a disaster. And if he gets another job in the future, no owner will ever hand him the keys to the kingdom again. Yeah, I mean, you just go back to thinking about the. Uh... The, uh, the trade for, for Hopkins and, and David Johnson. And here's an interesting situation that, that I read about um, that, that I want to get your take on too. Obviously, the, the Texans mounted a huge comeback against the Bills um, in the wildcard round that eventually led to them getting to the, the divisional round of the playoffs where they lost to the Chiefs. Um, but I, I heard rumors that, that if, if Bill O'Brien didn't win that game, he would have been fired because it would have been, you know, a, a, a couple of playoff appearances with no wins. Uh, if he gets fired, that DeAndre Hopkins trade is never made. Uh, I mean, do you think there's any truth to that sort of rumor? Uh, and do you think the Texans are in a better place uh, position-wise as, as far as their, their personnel on their team if they don't beat the Bills in the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really speak, you know, whether the rumor is true or not. Um, but it, it wouldn't shock me, you know, and then you hear about, you know, the fight sort of between J.J. Watt and O'Brien. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's, 
even Hopkins had issues. I mean, O'Brien seems sort of like a prickly guy that, that, you know, wants to run things like a general. You know, Tom Coughlin was that way, and we saw how that worked in Jacksonville. I mean, he destroyed that franchise. So in that way, I mean, it's a player's league now. In that way, I think, you know, you can go out, you can get a, you know, a much better coach for the players. Eric Bieniemy deserves a job. I, mm-hmm. It shocked me that he didn't get any job. Um, and I said I, in another interview, I think that, you know, I think he'll either get the Texans job or he will probably be hired to wherever Justin Fields or uh, possibly Trey Lance, you know, one of these rookie quarterbacks go. Um, so I look for the enemy to, to definitely be on, on the Texans radar. Will they be better off? You know, it's, it's hard to say. Um, but I think just from, just from the fact that the NFL is a player's league now, and uh, I think getting Bill out of the organization is probably the best thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's such a, like you said, you have guys that, uh, or coaches that like to be uh, controlling on the field. And, you know, if you look at like with Tom Coughlin in New York or with Bill Belichick with the Patriots, when results are, are put out and you're winning championships, it's a lot easier to buy into that sort of philosophy as opposed to, you know, where they were at last week uh, being 0-4. It becomes harder to uh, believe that that the coach you've got is and, and his philosophy and his system is, is the way to go. So um, it's always a, a, a unique sell unless – you know, unless you get wins, and that that obviously demands respect. But yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I see that sort of uh, the same type of thing happening in Tampa because Bruce Arians has a very big personality, and the media loves him. You know, and some of the players like him. Some, you know, I know for a fact some of the players don't exactly like him that much. But you know, he's he's very boisterous. He's very sort of arrogant, um, and a lot of the things he says, people know they're not true. You know, like the, the from the media's perspective, Bruce is a straight shooter. He he just tells it how he sees it. That, that's not true. Bruce Arians lies all the time, and you can watch him do it in interviews. Um, Greg Alman, a reporter for the Athletic, asked him, you know, did Brady know that it was fourth down? And Arians said, yes, he did. Not, I mean, that's just a blatant lie. Mm. Everyone saw that Brady didn't know that it was fourth down. And Alman said, okay, thanks, Bruce. <laughs> you know, the media's kind of scared of Bruce Arians there, which I don't understand. But as long as you're winning. You know the team goes along with it, but you know the Bucks—they just lost. They're still three and two, so everything's fine. But they get the Packers next week. They get um, they get the Raiders coming up. You know it's very possible that they go on a three-game losing streak and they're sitting at three and four. Mike Evans' numbers are drastically down as far as catches and yards from really every year in his career, and and there could be some rumblings. There could be some you know players that are a little upset by you know sort of the arrogance and the and the lies that are coming out of the the, the coach's mouth for no reason. So, so if you're in that Zoom call with, with the Buccaneers media um, and, and you get a chance to ask Bruce Arians a question, and you just had one, what question are you going to ask him? What are you going to throw his way? <laughs> I, I've tweeted out things, you know, uh, to other Tampa media. How come you didn't ask this? And I'll, I'll give them a direct quote, or I'll say, when you get Bruce in front of you, ask him this. Of course they would never do it. Um, you know, and from, from what I understand, you know, Arians uh, doesn't like me. His family doesn't like me. I've had run-ins, you know, with his son and his daughter-in-law. Um, so I don't think Bruce would even answer a question for me no matter what it was. He'd just say, next question. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but let's say hypothetically, you know, one of these media members uh, took your advice and, and passed along a question. What is, what is that one question that you want answered? Sure. Um, okay, so, you know, two weeks ago when they did uh, come back on the Chargers, you know, they came back, they won that game, they were down 17. Arian said, last year this team would have lost by 20. Okay, they didn't lose any games by 20. You know, that, so 
obviously, you know, that's just sort of an exaggeration. So this last week when they lost, despite, you know, the defense holding the opposing team to 20 and the run game getting 100 yards of run support, if I would have been a media member sitting there, I would have said, Bruce, so Jameis Winston in five years never lost a game where his defense held the opposing team to 20 points and he got 100 yards of run support. But your new quarterback, Tom Brady, just did. Why is that? And just let, let Bruce sort of get red in the face and not have an answer. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then never and then you would never get allowed back in to ask another question <laughs> or right. something like that. But, yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a unique situation in Tampa Bay. I mean, like you, you've said before, they traded in um, a, a quarterback in James Winston who they could still develop a team around for a guy in Tom Brady who's got probably, you know, he's got two years on his contract, but realistically two years – uh, to win a championship, which is the goal, um, and the window is 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 very small. So, uh, yeah, who who knows how that one ends? But uh, it is something to watch out for. You know, if they do struggle against these teams that have been playing well and, and potentially fall uh, below 500. Uh, but next next topic here, it, it's funny because I, I sent you a list of of these things before that we were going to kind of discuss before the Sunday games happened. And one of my questions was, can the Chiefs go undefeated? Well, that answer was given to us on Sunday. Uh, and it's a no. Uh, out of all the teams that, that they could have lost to um, in Arrowhead, the, the Raiders were the first one to take them down. Were you surprised by this game at all, or, or did you see this one coming? Had it been in Vegas, I, I, I would have figured that it would be a very close game, you know, could have gone either way. I figured since it was in Arrowhead that, you know, the Chiefs would win. Um, but I will say the Raiders are a lot better than I think most people realize. They're a lot better than what I thought they would be, you know, before the season started. Um, but I've watched their game this year. You know, I watched every snap, you know, when they played the Saints. And um, I watched the game today. They're, they're a good football team. Their, their defense is better than what I thought it would be. They can run the ball effectively. You know, Carr, he, he's sort of a limited quarterback, but he really doesn't make mistakes. Gruden has, has wonderful play calls. They're a tough team. I mean, I, I legitimately view them as an 11-win team. Um, and I definitely didn't think that before the year started. But I'd be very surprised if they don't make the playoffs this year. So, that the Chiefs lost to them, um, yeah, I mean, it, it surprised me today. I think the Chiefs are, you know, a bit overrated, and that's just, they just, any team with a with a media darling quarterback and, and somebody that the NFL is, you know, pushing as the face of, of the entire league is just automatically going to be overrated by the media. I still think the Chiefs, you know, are the odds-on favorite to win the Super Bowl, but, yeah, I mean, they're going to have a tough time. There's some good teams in the AFC. The Bills are not are no joke. You know, the Ravens, if they can get a lead on the Chiefs, that can be very difficult, um, you know, as long as Lamar doesn't have to come back and, and be a pocket quarterback. If, if the Ravens could jump to a quick lead, that could be tough. So uh, they, they've got a rough road ahead. So I do want to ask, because I know we have Chiefs fans that listen to this podcast um, and would be remiss if I didn't dive into this overrated comment just a little bit. So you said that, that they probably are the odds on favorite, which I would agree with. Um, but but how can a team that is is the, the favorite to win the championship be be overrated, in your opinion? Well, there there are media talking heads, uh, you know, like Nick Wright, that said they have a, I think he said 22.5% chance of going undefeated. I mean, that, that's kind of ridiculous. I heard his math. It made, you know, immediate sense to me. I understand, you know, how he got to that number. But, come on, 22% chance to go undefeated? No. It, you know, there's only been one team in the history of football to go undefeated. So he could have factored that into his, his uh, you know, multiplying out the odds of each game. So I just think, you know, everybody just looks at them as like, okay, they're a guaranteed, you know, they're going to the Super Bowl. It's very difficult to repeat as champions. I mean, it, you just look through the history of the entire NFL. It, it rarely, rarely, rarely happens. So 
matter how good they are, the odds are that they're not going to repeat as champions. I still view them as, as the odds-on favorite because I think you'd be kind of crazy to bet against that offense. Andy Reid's a genius, you know. Um, but it, it's a long, hard road, you know, to the final. I mean, there's, there's still – we saw what happened to Dak Prescott. I mean, injuries happen. Mm-hmm. You know, there's injuries happen. The San Francisco 49ers came into the year, you know, as a, as a legitimate pick to make the Super Bowl, and their season looks over. I mean, they're just decimated by injuries. They, they look like a complete shell of their, their you know, 2019 self. So one injury could affect everything in Kansas City. You know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, no, that's true. And, and even going back to the year before, uh, two, two years ago, if, if D Ford's not off sides, that interception goes through and the Chiefs are in, in the Super Bowl. So it just shows how, how uh, you know, one play, one moment, one injury, whatever the case may be, can affect uh, the, the outlook of the entire season. But you did mention Dak, and I do want to talk about it. Uh, terrible injury. You, you have to feel for the guy uh, watching, you know, how much even Jason Garrett coming over to support him, how much love he gets from the fans, from his players uh, that, that are around him, from the coaching staff. Uh, obviously a, a terrible injury, but there, there's two there's two parts of my question I have here. So obviously he was playing under the franchise tag. Um, so, so his future uh, contractually is uncertain. Um, and, you know, we, we've obviously seen Alex Smith take, took the field today. Uh, coming back from from an injury where he almost you know literally lost his leg, so the the road to recovery is, is going to be long but not impossible. Um, so so two questions here: What does Dak's future look like to you, and what does the future of the Cowboys look like this year, having Andy Dalton under center? All right. Um, so yeah, the first thing I'll say: I, I was watching that game. <clears throat> I was watching it on tape delay um, with my eldest son, and and I saw the injury happened. I just started screaming, you know, like, ah, and, uh, my, my youngest son came running into the room. What happened? What happened? And, um, I literally started crying and my daughter came in. She's like, why are you crying dad? And you know, I'm not the the biggest Dak Prescott fan in the world. I'm not the huge Cowboys fan, but I just, I want to see every player in the NFL blessed financially, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, all of it. Mm -hmm. And, um, Injuries, they're terrible. I mean, I just hate seeing that. And then knowing that, you know, Dak turned down a huge contract, he bet on himself, and then this happens. And he may never get that type of contract offer for the rest of his career. You know, he's out this year for sure. We'll see if he's back to to normal next year. He he may not be. Um, And, you know, I, I think that Jerry Jones is a businessman. So, I would be very surprised. I know there's a lot of Cowboys fans that are, you know, calling on Jerry to, to make things good and, and do right by Dak and pay him. I don't, I don't see that happening. I mean, I would imagine that Jerry Jones franchises tags, franchise tags him again next year. I don't see why he wouldn't. You know, there's, there's just no point in giving a quarterback that just broke his ankle a ton of money. So I would imagine that, that Jones would franchise tag him again next year and possibly even – you know, not the exclusive franchise tag, you know, just the standard one, let him go sort of to the market and maybe a team will pick him up and, and give up a first, uh, a first round pick for him. Um, that I, I don't see that getting paid. Now I, I see a franchise tag for him at best. Now, as, as far as um, the Cowboys going forward, you know, they're in maybe the worst division in the history of football. I'd have to do more research into that, of course, uh, to speak on that authoritatively, but that's, I mean, it's a terrible division. It was a terrible division last year. So I could still see them winning the division with seven or eight wins. I mean, the, the Eagles have a rough schedule. I was looking at it today, and, and I could see them finishing something like, you know, seven, eight, and one, or even six, nine, and one. 
So, you know, the Cowboys, if they can get to seven, eight wins, they could win the division. And I think Andy Dalton's good enough to get them there. Their defense is a mess. It's, it's probably the worst in the NFL. Seattle's up there, too. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if Dallas makes a phone call to New Orleans and offers a pick for Jameis. That, that wouldn't shock me at all. I don't think the Saints would, would do it. I think the Saints would say thanks, but no thanks. But, um, you know, Dallas's team is built to win shootouts and only shootouts. Mm-hmm. They can't stop anybody. And they have weapons everywhere in the passing game. And Zeke really hasn't been running the ball that effectively this year. Their offensive line is down. So they're, they're basically Tampa 2019 just in Dallas. They're, they're built to win shootouts. And um, Andy Dalton is not Jameis when it comes to shootouts. So, yeah, I mean, I could see them, you know, if that trade happened, I could see Jameis, you know, just popping in there and throwing for 400 yards a game, three touchdowns, one and a half picks, whatever. And they get seven wins like the Bucks did last year and won the division. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. But if they stick with Dalton, I think they can win the division. Um, I guess I would bet on the Eagles to win it now. Uh, if it's Dalton for the rest of the year, but it'll, it'll, I, I think it'll be neck and neck, you know, right down to the last week of the season between Dallas and Philadelphia. So we have seen seen some uncertainty from Drew Brees. Obviously, you mentioned his his ability has diminished greatly. Um, is there is there a a draft pick that even makes the Saints come to the table? Like, are they, are they concerned? Do you think they're concerned enough about Drew Brees' ability and that they might have to play Jameis at some point this season, or do you think? the Cowboys can make an offer that will make the Saints come to the table and say, yeah, yeah, we'll do this. Well, yeah, I mean, you can always make a Godfather-type offer. I mean, you know, if Dallas gets crazy, I'm sure they could they could pry, you know, just about anybody away. Um, I don't see that type of thing happening. But I, I think that Sean Payton and the Saints, you know, would prefer, prefer to stash Jameis all year long, not let the league see LASIK Jameis in the hopes of re-signing him as cheap as possible next year and handing the team over to him next year. Um, there's, a, there's a reporter in New Orleans that was saying how, I think her, I can't remember her name, so I don't want to misquote her, but um, she was saying how, you know, Jameis playing that last game of the year against Carolina makes sense, you rest breeze. I don't know that that even happens, because if the Saints have locked up a playoff berth and they want to roll Jameis out against a bad Panthers team who by that time may not be playing for anything other than a better draft pick, why would you let Jameis go out there and throw up 400 yards mm. and, and just increase his value in the offseason? I mean, the whole concept for an organization is to get every player as cheap as possible. So I would think that in the Saints' mind, if Jameis is their guy going forward, they want him back as cheap as possible. And the, the best way to do that is just stash him all year. Now, if Dallas makes them a huge offer, and if the Saints feel that their 2021 cap situation is just too much of a mess to pay Jameis, which, you know, I have – uh, I, I need to talk to a couple people about that um, just to get a little bit more insight on that. But from afar, you know, just from what I've looked at, the Saints cap situation is, is very dicey. Um, you know, they, they've got they're, – they're so far over the cap that it's, uh, it's actually kind of bizarre. So if they feel that they can't afford Jameis, that they won't be able to make him, you know, a good offer, well, why wouldn't you trade him then, you know, for, for a decent pick? So we'll see what happens. I expect Jameis to stay in New Orleans and to – to uh, sign long-term there in the offseason, but we'll see what happens. So I want to transition to uh, another team's quarterback struggles, and that's my team, the Indianapolis Colts, went up against the Browns today, and what was, you know, I wouldn't expect that at the beginning of the year, these both of these teams would be 3-1 and one facing off. Um, the defense did everything it physically could to keep Indianapolis in the game, but I think there are a lot of people, including myself, 
that are having concerns about uh, about Philip Rivers. Now you look at the team last year; they needed a guy who could who could make things happen, make plays, because the defense wasn't where it was at, the running game wasn't where it was at. And obviously, we had we have the same the same offensive line, but but this year. It almost feels like the, the the Colts need a quarterback. They need a, J, a Jacoby Brissett. Well, obviously, you know we've we've talked about this before. Would love to have Jameis Winston on the team, but but they need a guy like Jacoby Brissett, one who won't make a lot of mistakes, who will make the right play, who will allow the the running game to flourish. Right now, it feels like Philip Rivers is just making too many mistakes. I mean, you go back to the the intentional grounding in the end zone, or or the the interceptions um, that have cost us. You know, in, in both of our losses. He's thrown four in, in, in two losses this season. Is there is there a chance that that they do slide back to Jacoby Brissett? Uh, because this is probably, you know, worst case scenario, what we expected from Phillip Rivers, negatively impacting a Colts team that is pretty well built. Yeah, I would say with, with Phillip, you know, the problem has been there's not enough production to, to balance out, you know, the turnovers and the and the poor play. Um if you're going to go out there and throw four picks in two games, it's not that big of a deal if you're also putting up, you know, moving the ball and putting up a lot of points. But in exactly. those two losses, you know, they've averaged 21 and a half points a game. That's, that's just not going to get it done. And that's against, you know, a bad Jaguars team. And then, you know, the Browns, I think, are, are a quality team this year. But I don't really see them, you know, benching Rivers for, uh, for Brissett. I don't know that Brissett, outside of, you know, being able to, to evade pressure and, and make a few more plays with his legs. I don't think he, he gives you anything extra in the passing game. He's also sort of a check down artist, um, you know, and he won't take the chances Phillip takes. So he probably will turn the ball over quite a bit less, but they saw what Jacoby gave them. You know, they moved on and, and signed Phillip. So I really don't see him being benched um, for Brissett. Uh, I said when the signing happened, I mean, it didn't make any sense other than Phillip knew Frank Reich's system because they just signed an older, worse, far less athletic, a guy with a far less arm than Jameis Winston. So, and they were both free agents. Mm-hmm. So the, the signing never made any sense from the get-go. Um, I think when I was on your show the last time, uh, I said that I only, you know, I looked at the Colts as something like a 7-8 win team. And I got some pushback on that. One guy DM'd me all flipping out on me and saying, how dare you, you know, the Colts are going to win their division, no problem, blah, blah, blah. I still only view them as a 7-8 win team. They've got you know, they've got the Bengals coming up, but then they've got at Lions, Ravens, at Titans, Packers, Titans again, at Texans. I mean, that, that's a rough stretch. And I think they're, they're going to be under 500 very soon. That's not encouraging news uh, that, that I wanted to hear as a Colts fan. But I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm with you. We were, we were in a situation where, um, you know, we probably could have gotten Jameis Winston for the same amount of money, obviously looking that he signed with the Saints for the minimum. We, we could have gotten him for potentially even less than what we paid Philip Rivers. Uh, but going into next season, you know, the Philip Rivers deal is only one only one year. So coming into next season, I am all in on going after Jameis Winston, uh, Dak Prescott, even trading a, a second or third round pick for Sam Darnold if the Jets do eventually take Trevor Lawrence. Um, just because y- you look at the way that this team's built, unless Jacob Eason turns in to be the guy everybody expected him to be going into college, Everything is set for this Colts team except for that quarterback position, which is a stark contrast to anything we've seen the last two decades, pretty much, when Peyton Manning or Andrew Luck was was under center. So this is a unique situation, uh, uncharted territory for the Colts, where everything else is statistically some of the best players in the league so far this season, but the quarterback play has really been been uh, been hurting us. So just a couple things here before we let you go. We're talking Monday and Tuesday game. We've got Chargers and Saints 
you, another another situation where where Justin Herbert, uh, as one of the youngest quarterbacks in the league, goes up against one of the oldest in Drew Brees. I know you're going to be watching the Saints game with uh, with uh, wide open eyes. You know, seeing seeing what uh, what happens there. What are you looking for in in both of the, or, or in this game um, for both sides? Sure, sure. Uh, real quick, I'll just say I love the mention of uh, Sam Darnold for the Colts. Um, I think that is something that that definitely could happen. You know, if the Jets get that number one pick, Darnold's gone, and uh, he'd be a nice pickup for the Colts. He'd still be really cheap on the fourth year, uh, you know, rookie. He'd have the fifth year option coming up. Uh, he has a lot of talent. And he had, he, you know, he's sort of like a poor man's Andrew Luck. He is a dynamic quarterback, so I think he could he could work very, very well there. I don't care that he's failed with the Jets; they're a trash organization with a trash team. So put him on the Colts. I think he'd he'd do much better than what Rivers is doing. Sam's a very talented, talented young quarterback. Okay, um, as far as the char- Chargers and Saints, I, I see you know a lot of people sort of picking the Chargers to win this game, like a like an underdog pick. Um, but the way I view it, the Saints are just they're clearly the better team. Um, you know, they lost to the Packers and the Raiders, but the Packers look like the class of the NFC this year. And the Raiders just smacked the Chiefs, you know, and, and they look like a much better team than anybody expected. Mm-hmm. So the Saints have had some rough patches, but it's I, I'd be pretty surprised if they lost to the Chargers. Um, I still think, you know, they'll, they'll walk away with their division um, and have no problem, you know, making the playoffs. The Chargers are interesting with Herbert, and I'm really going to look forward to watching him. You know, every single snap. I, I've watched a lot of him this year. I watched all his snaps with uh, with Tampa, um, but I watched a lot of him in college, and I thought he was really raw. And I was hoping for his sake that he'd get a year to just learn in the NFL, and that Tyrod would just you know play the year. Um, then, of course, you know the travesty happened there, and uh, with the doctors and Tyrod. But Herbert has a cannon. He's got a lot of athleticism. You know, he can pull off some plays that the defense doesn't expect and may not be defending. I mean, he can unleash just a rifle shot. Mm-hmm. So um, it's going to be fun watching him play. He, he adds a dimension to their team that Tyrod didn't have, and he allows those weapons that they have, uh, you know, to really be used, not just to be used as decoys. Yeah, definitely. And, okay, here's something, because I, I watched a little bit of him, too. I'm a Washington State fan, go to school up here. Um, so, so obviously, so I'm played Oregon a, a, a couple of times here. Is it crazy to, to say that he's almost looked better um, in the NFL than he did towards the end of his time in Oregon? Because you look at the, the the Rose Bowl win over Wisconsin, he won that game with his legs. I mean, he is he is definitely putting the team on his back in in, in terms of you know taking those deep shots, like you said. Was it uh, against? It might have been the Bucks. You would have you would have seen this one where he was facing blitz and he just kind of backpedaled and then unleashed a, a dime. Uh, which which led to to a big play, but is he playing better now with the Chargers than he did at Oregon? Oh yeah, yeah. And then that cannon shot you're talking about, yeah, that was against the Bucks. Um, yeah, there are players, you know, now and then there are players that will will look way better in the pros, even as rookies, than they looked in college. Um, it's rare that that'll happen sometimes, you know, in the NBA as well, and it'll always surprise people. Um, with Herbert, it's just he's so extremely talented, and a lot of people were down on him because they didn't think he was. He didn't live up to all his potential at Oregon. But, you know, I know everybody loves Joe Burrow, and I like the kid a lot. I like watching him play. He's nowhere near as talented as Justin Herbert. He's just not. You know, he's got the bigger name, and, yeah, he had more success. But you watch the two quarterbacks. There is a gap in talent. And Herbert is far more talented than Joe Burrow. 
he's still you know he's still raw. Although I still think Burrow is a little bit raw, but anyways, he's still raw. Um, but yeah, I think he's I think he's better right now in the NFL than he was in college, which is which is interesting. Um, I don't think it's a great matchup this week for the Chargers. Um, I also think that there's sort of like a regression to the mean that will happen. And what I mean by that is it's, it's sort of interesting when I was looking at the stat breakdown. The Chargers are 19th in yards allowed, but they're only 10th in points allowed, which is fantastic. The Saints are 6th in yards allowed, which is magnificent, but they're terrible. They're 25th in points allowed. Hmm. So, you know, the Saints are stopping everybody and yet giving up a ton of points. So I think there'll be sort of a regression to the mean this week, and um, and the Saints will, will hold the Chargers in check. And uh, Kamara should have a big game because the Chargers, their defense is sort of, you know, they give up basically as much on the ground as on the run as far as league rankings. So I think Kamara will have another huge game. All right, before we let you go here, Tuesday game, a unique situation, obviously. Uh, Bills-Titans, if it plays, uh, which team walks away undefeated after it and why? In the normal in the normal season, you know, not a COVID season, with uh, with all the fans in the stands and stuff, I guess I if I had to bet, I'd bet on the Titans being at home. This year, everything's a little different, and um, I sort of ignore you know the home field advantage this year and just go with the better team. And I think the Bills are the better team. I think they have the better quarterback, the better defense, the better roster, top to bottom. Um, and I also think you know coaching staff is, is probably better all around. Although I'm a huge Vrabel guy, I think he's a he's a magnificent head coach. But I really like Buffalo's entire staff. I like what they're doing and how they're building that team. They're just a very very tough team, and Josh Allen's playing unbelievable football. Um, I mean, right? You know, when he was in Wyoming, I said he he had all world talent. You know, I mean, you're talking like top five, ten talent of all time as far as just raw talent. Um, but I figured it would take him a lot longer to get acclimated to the NFL and to really do what he's doing now. I mean, he's, he's having an MVP-type season at the moment. So I imagine he'll have a couple rough games at some point, and it could be this Tuesday. But um, if I had to bet, I, I'd put my money on the uh, on the Bills. Yeah, well, I remember watching the, the Bills-Rams game, and there was a stat they pulled up where it's like uh, deep ball accuracy last year was 25%, and this year he was at like, 68 or 70 which is a mind-blowing jump like great for him great for the bills uh maybe stefan diggs was was the difference who knows but uh yeah we we've uh we've just about run out of time here thank you so much for coming on you can follow him on twitter at Jameis one of one same name uh but we we appreciate you taking the time and, and we'll talk to you soon my pleasure have a great night man